0: Well, it's been nice to have the month of January off just to give space to think and really pray and cast some direction and strategy for this year. But no doubt, like the rest of you, I have thoroughly enjoyed the guys that have been speaking, the four brothers, Patrick and Wilsey and Brendan and Jesse. I think have just done an outstanding job of serving this local church in the Psalms. Yes, very appropriate. And I have found my soul, like so many of you, just lifted up in the process of examining these these writers of the Psalms and examining their real life situations and seeing how they could put their confidence in God throughout all they were going through. And the plan for today was that I was going to crack back on with Ephesians. But I really felt the Lord put something else on my heart for today, and that's Psalm 23. I wanted to move on, and my hope would be that these four guys would have really wrapped up the Psalms, and yet I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to go spooky on you, I'm not a particularly spooky fella, and yet at the same time, I believe He speaks to us, not in an audible way, but He gives us a sense of something sometimes, and I've really felt the Lord put this on my heart for you today, so if you'd turn with me please to Psalm 23. Charles Haddon Spurgeon calls this psalm the pearl of the psalms. I love that. Alexander McLaren says, The world could spare many a large book better than this little psalm. It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. Isn't that wonderful? This psalm is such a glorious and wonderful psalm. And so if you'd like a title for this morning, I've called this message The Shepherd's Relentless pursuit. And although we're going to focus ourselves primarily on verse 6 of Psalm 23, I nonetheless wanted to read it so that we can enjoy it in its entirety. It's a psalm of David, and he says as follows The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. In green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. forever Lord as we gather around your word this morning Lord I'm aware that we stand on sacred ground these are your words these are the words that you exhaled from your mouth through your servant David and so Lord as we view them would we view them and hear them as the Lord, Yahweh, speaking to us. Father, speak into our hearts. Bring joy and security and peace to our souls. Lord, as I have prayed in private, I now pray in public. Help me, Lord. Help us and have your way amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. New year is always an interesting time, isn't it? The clock changes and you would think it's no big deal. All you really get to enjoy is a lot of fireworks and then another year starts and so be it. But New Year actually is a very special time. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of anticipation. It's a time of considering the future and considering what is going to take place. It's a zone, particularly in Australia because the children go on holidays as well and the holidays concur. It's a time of reviewing the past but also considering the future. And that's what it's been for me. Over this season of January, as the new year came into focus, I've been able to review and consider 2010. And what an eventful year it was, don't you think? It was the year that this local church got started. People have been praying for many years that Sovereign Grace Ministries would come to Australia. And in September of last year, this church then was launched after a whole group of people had gathered, praying that we would come and praying for Emma and I, that we'd be able to come and serve in this local church. This time last year, I was sitting in Wales, and I was sitting at Wales on the phone to my immigration lawyer in Australia, saying, why can I not get in? It was a troubling time, and it was looking like that we weren't even going to be able to come, and none of this was actually going to take place. That was only 12 months ago. And as I review many of your stories and consider things that have happened in your lives over last year, it's amazing, isn't it? How God's cared for us and how He's ministered to us and how He's looked after our souls and our beings. It's also been a time in January, though, of looking forward to the future. I wonder what this year is going to hold for us. I wonder what it's going to hold for us as a a family, for Emma and I and the children. I wonder what it's going to hold for you as singles and marrieds and as families. I wonder what it's going to hold for us as a church family. There are so many questions, so many unknowns, so many things that in all honesty, we, we don't really know what it's going to hold for us. But it's a time of consideration, isn't it? As the year kicks off again to wonder, what does the future hold in my marriage? in my relationships, in my finances, in my church? What does it hold? January is also a time of resolutions, isn't it? We've probably broken them all by now, but hey, we nonetheless make these crazy resolutions. So we have general life resolutions like weight loss. I've never gone for that one myself. I'm more weight gain. I just, dear Jesus, please help me put on weight again. More weight this year, Lord. I'm just the antithesis of most people. That's why I am a dietitian's nightmare. I'm just sick when it comes to this type of stuff. But so many people do do a resolution of, I am going to lose weight. You will not recognize me by Christmas 2011, and you think, yeah, righto. I think you'll probably still look like you, but we'll give it a go. There's also decorating. Men, if you're like me, I own a home in the the UK. Well, the bank owns most of it, but officially it's got my name on it. And you would always, the year would tick over, and the new year would begin it. This is the year that I will decorate the house. My love, you need rest, because this year there will be decoration like you've never known. And the garage that has been a mess for the last decade, do not fear We will be able to eat our dinner in it by the time I finish. You know, there's all these resolutions of general life. And then there's resolutions of spiritual life. Reading and studying. Lord, I, I want to evangelize this year. Lord, help me to brandish the gospel and take it out this year in fresh ways. Lord, help me to serve. Lord, I know I've been slightly outside the local church for a long time. But this year, help me to really fold in and help me to give myself to a local church it's a time for those types of resolutions, isn't it? And and it's a good thing. I'm not against resolutions. And I think resolutions properly understood that God willing, this is what I want to do to change. That's good. But the key is God willing, okay? I think it's so easy to come into a new year arrogantly. I know it because it's what I did the year before. As the clock turned on 2010, I arrogantly assumed, I'm going to Australia, and I reckon by February we are going to be there, and this church is going to be planted by April. But the Lord had different plans. See, if there's one thing I learned last year, it was James 4, verse 13 through 15, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. That's a good lesson. It's good to make resolutions, but at the same time realize we're just a mist. We're there for a little while and then we've gone. In reality, there's so many unknowns to the year ahead. But the thing I want to talk about today is not primarily our resolutions before the Lord. It's God's resolution towards us. You see, it's so easy to kick off in February, okay, the pastor's back, he's preaching to us, what is he preaching? He's going to preach on brandishing the gospel and taking it out to this city and winning people for Jesus. Nah, that'll come. But today I want to talk to you about God's resolution to you as this year unfolds, as the unknowns begin to come into our vision, this is what I want you to know. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You see, as David considers and reviews in Psalm 23, his own past The kindness of God, the glory of God, who God is in His splendor, and how God positions Himself towards David. David knows with absolute confidence, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I really believe God wants us to know that. As a local church and as a local family of believers, I believe the thing that the Lord wants to placard over our lives as a church this year is this, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. As individuals, as singles, as marrieds, as families. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. What a difference that makes when we believe that. As the days and the weeks and the months and the years begin to tick over in our life, when this is believed and it's held to and it functions, it makes a profound difference to every second we live thereafter. And so let's examine this verse 6 together. We're going to do it a bit of Lloyd-Jones style today. We're going to do kind of one word at a time. But that's because I want us to suck the juice out of all that is here. And it's the start of verse 6. He begins with, surely. Surely. See, that word can easily be skipped over. And you think, well, look, I know this psalm. It's a bit like John 3.16. And we've been saying it all our lives. And there we go. Yes, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. Very good. No, hang on. Surely. He doesn't just say, well, maybe, or I really hope so, or fingers crossed this might happen. He's saying, surely, he's saying, I have an absolute confidence in this. David is utterly convinced. There is something that he is standing on in his life, having reviewed the past and in considering the future, David is standing at that gateway and saying, surely I know this. I'm confident of this. What are you confident of, David? I'm confident of goodness and mercy. I'm confident that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, as 2011 hits, what can you be absolutely sure of? Can you be sure of your health? No. Can you be sure of your relationships? Nope. Can you be sure that by next new year, you're still going to be alive? No. Can you be sure of your finances? That you're going to be able to buy the house you want or do the thing that you've got planned? No. Can you be sure of your relationships? No. In Britain, we used to say that there's only two things you can be sure of, and that's death and taxes. There's two things that I'll be confident in. I'm going to die, and the other thing is that I'm going to pay my taxes because I have to. And, and that's, there's a lot of truth in that. We are all going to die, and if you earn money, you are going to pay your taxes. It's just the way of life, and it's two things we can be absolutely sure of. And yet David, at the start of this year, wants to encourage us and communicate to us that, you know what, Sovereign Grace Church? There's something more than death and taxes that you can be sure of. There's something more that you can know with absolute certainty in your life as believers, and it's this, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That as you look out on the year ahead, you can know it for absolute sure. David knows it for sure. The Apostle Paul knows it for sure. That's what you read in Romans 8, 28. The Apostle Paul says, and we know, we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. Don't you love it? He knows it. There's different unknowns as we face the year. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I know this, that surely he'll work for the good of those that love him. And David echoes that. You know what? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, sadly, the fact of life is that this is one of those areas that so often we can too easily count ourselves out of. And I know we can, because as a pastor, I meet people that do. And so even though I'm saying this from Scripture, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, you think of yourself slightly to the side. Dave, if only you knew me. If only you knew my failings, my difficulties, the situations that I've got into in my life, you would know (sighs) that can't occur to me. I'm slightly out the fold. I'm in it, but I'm, I'm slightly out of it. And so instead of applying that truth to yourself, you look on as a spectator, as if somehow it doesn't quite apply to you, as if somehow God is tolerating you and he's talking to the crowd and you're slightly sitting on the sideline. You know, that way of thinking is completely wrong and completely deceived because this psalm is addressing you. It's addressing each one of us as believers and saying, this applies to you. How do we know? Well, this is how we know. Because if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it started with Him. Before there was even time, He chose you. He knew your name. He knew how you were made. He watched over your life. At the right time, then, He sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to hang on a cross to suffer and bleed, and the Father to turn His face away from Him. Why? So that the ones He has chosen could have life. They could be forgiven of their sin. They could be redeemed. They could be adopted into the very family of God. That they could know that without question, heaven is their home. That they could know that as a people who were once his enemies, through Jesus Christ, he has now held them and pulls them in, pulls them into his home, seats them at his table where he will oversee them as a father and a shepherd. Surely, goodness and mercy then. Will follow me all the days of my life. If you're in, you're in. It's your name we see in here. And David is absolutely sure. What is he sure of? Number two, what is he so convinced of? This goodness and mercy. He is absolutely sure of God's goodness. His toweb and His mercy is hesed. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His hesed, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what Lamentations tells us. David is convinced that this goodness and this mercy is that which God is putting onto his life. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon calls these wonderfully He calls goodness and mercy the twin guardian angels of Psalm 23. Don't you love that? I just think that's such a sweet picture. The two guardian angels, goodness and mercy, guarding the whole psalm. Now, obviously, they're not real angels. They're attributes of God. But what he's helping us see is these attributes of God, goodness and mercy, are the very guardian angels of this psalm. The very things that he's saying will follow us and chase us and pursue us every day of our lives. See, David is absolutely sure. He's absolutely convinced that goodness and mercy is what is pointed on his life. And he knows that because he knows God. He knows God. He's examined the Scriptures, and he's spent time with God, and he knows who God is. And he knows upon review and upon reflection of his life, Just how incredibly and intimately Yahweh has shepherded his life. And you see in verses 1 through 5, that's what he's doing. He's reviewing how the maker of heaven and earth has positioned himself towards David as a servant of the king. He starts in verse 1. Let's go through it. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh. That's what the capital letters means. Yahweh, it's the name of God. The name that God introduced and disclosed first to Moses at the burning bush. A name which literally means, I am who I am. Don't you love that? (laughs) I know in my life I sometimes question God on different things. And you say, Lord, why can I not get a visa? What is up with this? Here's the response, David. I am who I am. Okay then. You know God is huge. He is vast. He is the Yahweh. He is the great I am of the Bible. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning and He has no end. He is accountable to no one. We are all accountable to God, but He is accountable to no one. He is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He is not in need of anything. He is not looking at us saying, thank goodness they're down there. I could have never done it without them. No, He is completely self-sufficient. He's the all-powerful one of the Bible. He's the all-knowing one, the all-seeing one, the all-powerful one and all-wise one. He's the one, as we've seen over the last few weeks, he's the one that springs the galaxies. He's the one who puts the stars in their place and names them and sustains them so that not one is missing. He's the one that says to the tides, this far and no further. He's the one who numbers the sand on the seashores. He's the one who made you in your mother's womb and now sustains you. He keeps your heart going and your lungs functioning so that right now you are listening to me and still breathing. He is the Great One of the universe, and David knows this. He's stressing the point. The Lord, Yahweh, the Great One, He's my shepherd. It's an incredible clash of two vastly different things. The shepherd is a very lowly job. You ever thought about why David was called a shepherd boy? It's because he was the youngest, and it was a rubbish job. So they just gave it to the smallest one they could find, and oh, thank goodness, we've had another baby. You can do it. No one really wanted to be a shepherd because it was such a difficult job. 24 hours a day, you would have to chase sheep around. And the problem with sheep is they are absolutely stupid. I come from Wales, where so many people are hill sheep farmers. And what you quickly realize are sheep Ah, oh, stupid. They, just, they can't fend for themselves. They can't protect themselves. If you go up to them too much and go boo, they keel over and die. They get afraid so easily. If you, you give them good water to drink and they drink it all and they kind of explode or they just drink it all and they think, oh, I'm thirsty again. So they go to the next bucket, which is dirty oil and they drink that as well. They, they are very dense. But David says, you know what, God? I'm like that. I screw up in my life. I wander away from you. I think I'm on the right path. Just like a sheep, I'm getting lost. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what I was thinking. But Here's his confidence. The Lord, Yahweh, you're my shepherd. You're the one who cares for me and protects for me and Oversees my life with guidance and provision and care. And his assessment of that is, therefore, I shall not want. See, it's not that David had everything he ever wanted. God isn't a genie in the lamp. You say, okay, Lord, I really want to win the lottery. I shall not want. No. What he's saying effectively is, I shall not lack. It's more than just wanting. He's saying, Lord, when it comes to the things that I really need in my life, when it comes to your sovereign and fatherly and shepherdry care of me in my life, there's nothing I lack. He then starts to unpack why that is and why that is his assessment that he lacks nothing. In verse 3, he says, The good shepherd, sorry, verse 2, he says, The good shepherd provides rest for him. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I love that. On the face of it, it looks like it's to do with um, the shepherd providing food and drink for David as his sheep. But but it's not. That point is reserved for verse 5. Here the issue is rest. Here the issue is a good shepherd who knows his sheep, who knows the sheep's fears, who knows the sheep is getting tired and exhausted and therefore in great care and intimacy for the sheep, he leads them to rest, to green pastures and still waters so that they can rest. You know, sheep sheep can't rest very easily. And so when you examine the words here, he he makes me lie down. That's really hard to do. Because sheep are afraid of things. And when they're in fear, they won't lay down. If they feel that they're not going to have anything to eat, they panic. So they run around and find something to eat. So unless there is food literally underneath them, they're not lying down. If there's any enemies around them, if there are flies or things in the way that are bothering them, they will not lie down. But David's saying, Lord, you you care for me in such an intimate way, of caring for my fears and my difficulties and my enemies. You lead me beside still waters, and you make me lie down in green pastures. Isn't that beautiful? Such is the care and the provision of the Lord you experienced that in your life? Because I know I have. Times when you just feel overwhelmed with what is going on in your life. Maybe you walk into a challenge at home or a difficulty at work or a sickness and you just think, Lord, I'm getting overwhelmed with this. I can't cope with another moment. And then something happens. A friend calls and encourages Or you put a CD on and you find that those verses come alive in your mind as you're hearing this, you're aware God is ministering to my soul. Or you open your Bible and you come across a passage that has wonderful nourishment for you. That's the Good Shepherd leading you. That's not an accident. It's his care and intimacy, involvement in your life. David knows it. So he says, Lord, I shall not want you care for me in such a way that you bring rest to me. He then continues, the good shepherd also guides. Second half of verse three, he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. (laughs) Do you realize you have a good shepherd who guides you? James Montgomery Boyce. So sheep are foolish creatures. In fact, they are probably the most stupid animals on earth. One aspect of their stupidity is seen in the fact that they so easily wander away. They can have a shepherd who can have brought them to the best grazing lands, near an abundant supply of water, and they will still wander away to where the fields are barren and the water undrinkable. They are creatures of habit. They may be brought to good grazing ground by the shepherd, but having found it, They may keep on grazing until every blade of grass and every root is eaten. The fields are ruined, and they themselves are impoverished. No other class of livestock requires more helpful handling than sheep. Therefore, a good shepherd, who will move them from field to field, yet always keep them near an abundant supply of water, is essential for their welfare. You know, in Psalm 23 and also many other places of the Bible. You know what God calls us? Sheep. It's not very impressive, is it, really? And you think, could we not be a lion for Jesus? I mean, I want to be a lion for Jesus, or, or a shark for Jesus, or a tiger. Oh, give, me, give me a tiger. What have we got? Sheep? Give me a break, a cloud on four stumps. This is This is appalling. Sheep are are mentally challenged in so many different ways. They do so many crazy things. But David's confidence is, Lord, even though that's what we are, even though we're sheep, I have rest and I have guidance. I know where to go. I know even when I wander away that I have one who will come and brandish me and help me and pull me back into the flock. I know that, Lord because you're the good shepherd. And you're the good shepherd who guides me. He's also the good shepherd that protects verse 4. He says even though I walk through the valley of uh, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think one of the reasons why this psalm has so many credentials, has so much value and worth is in part because this is David. This is not a guy who just had a life of rosiness. Okay, this is not Britney Spears shepherding people that just he's got all the money in the world, I'm just gonna do whatever I want, and life's one big party. Read your Bible. David is a guy who is regularly chased, he's regularly fearing for his life. As a shepherd, he knew what it was to fear being attacked by wild animals. As a king, he knew what it was to fall in massive sin and know what it is to absolutely blow it and shipwreck in your life. But he still nonetheless knows, Lord, even when that happens, even when I blow it, even when I wander away, even when beasts and enemies are out to get me, Lord, even then, I know you're with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it wonderful? David knew a God and knew a shepherd who would protect. And he also knew that the good shepherd would bless. That's what verse 5 is about. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I love that. To David, God wasn't just a guy who was going to protect and care and guide To David, God, the good shepherd, was one who was going to bless. And so as David knew what it was, as a shepherd himself, to come in after a long day of organizing and caring for the flock, he knew a God who had oil for his skin. In Palestine, it would be so hot that your skin would crack. So one of the the end-of-the-day rituals would be to put oil on your face if you could afford it to care for your skin. Your throat would be desperate for thirst, but he knew a God who would give him a drink which was simply overflowing. As a shepherd, you knew what it was to be starving hungry at the end of a hot day, but David knew a shepherd, a God who prepared a table for him. Even when the work was not done, even when there were still enemies around him, David knew a protector who would nourish and bless him At every single opportunity. Don't you love it? David. King David knows God, and he knows how God cares for him. He knows that Yahweh is his shepherd. He knows that Yahweh is there to protect him. He knows that Yahweh is there to guide him. He knows that Yahweh is there to care for him. That Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, is positioning himself to care for him in every detail with great blessing. And so he concludes, So surely... Having reviewed my past, Lord, and having reviewed you, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's wonderful, isn't it? Upon review, he's got faith for the future. See, I believe God in exactly the same way. That David grasps that he has a good shepherd, I believe that God wants us to know exactly the same that we have a good shepherd who points goodness and mercy at our lives. Listen, as you look out on two thousand and eleven, what are you anticipating this year? What are the things that you think, "Ah, oh, this is probably going to happen. This is going to be good. Oh, this is going to be bad. What are you anticipating? Here's what I want you to anticipate more than anything else. Goodness and mercy. I want you anticipating that his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You see, this goodness and mercy isn't just for today. It's just for tomorrow or next week or this year. This is for all our days. And that's point three. For how long? How long will this goodness and mercy be pointed at my life. Well, here's how long it will follow me. It will follow you all the days of your life. See, it's so easy if you're like me, anyway, to go home on a Sunday and to know His goodness and mercy. I mean, I'm just buzzing. I'm gutted when Sunday morning's finished. I just absolutely love it. And I get home in the afternoon, and how do you find that family? Eddie, Emma, you loved it. Great kids. You good kids. You love kids. Oh God, it's good. This is happy days. I love being a Christian. I love being a sheep. And then Monday morning you get an email or something happens, you're like, oh my goodness, Uh, goodness and mercy, I don't know, That, that must have been for Sunday, but this is difficult now. It's so easy to not anticipate it for every day of our lives and just somehow believe that that's for Sundays or life groups or after I've read my word, surely then. It's not a reward. No, this is a covenant. This is a good God who knows his sheep. He says, no, goodness and mercy is going to follow you Every day. See, do you sin in your life? Because I know I do. I don't want to, but I'm like Paul. The very things that I want to do are so often the things that I don't get to do. And the very things I don't want to do and I'm working hard not to do, oh, I've done it again. Lord, what is going on? You can anticipate goodness and mercy even on those days. How do I know that? Because isn't that what happened to you last year? Did you sin last year? And goodness and mercy still followed you, right? He's amazing like that. That's what mercy is about not getting what you deserve. And it's going to be following you all the days this year as well. I love that word follow. See, so often we can overlook that one as if it doesn't have much meaning for this, or we just misunderstand it. See, when i ask my kids to do things here's a little illustration for you sometimes i'll say josh and amy it's time to tidy your bedrooms and they say and they, their response is not oh great this is just what i wanted dad this is a great job no they don't quite respond like that so you says, say okay guys it's time to tidy your bedrooms i will escort you up the stairs so follow me let's uh, let's go off we go and i'm still talking i'm now in the bedroom and they haven't quite arrived yet, you know, it's lagging behind, it's, it's a million miles away from me who is now tidying the bedroom on their behalf but making sure I leave things for them to do. And are you coming? We can think that God's following us like that. I know he's following me but I, know, I don't think he's caught up enough at the moment. That's not what this word means. In the Hebrew, this doesn't mean that sort of lagging behind follow. Correctly translated, this following means to actively pursue. Or even better, it means to chase down. Don't you love that? Surely goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life. This is an active pursuit from a shepherd to his sheep, chasing us down. I remember my first time in the United States. It was in 1999. I'd never been there before. And I went with my good friend, Pete Greasley. I went over to a celebration conference that he wanted me to come with him on. So I hopped it with him. I'd actually never been abroad at that point. So that was a new experience. And so we got there and we hired this car. And we saw this brand new lane that I didn't know what it was. It was called Hove 3. I thought, oh, that's nice. I have no idea what that means. Now, what it actually means is you have to have three people in your car. But we didn't know that at the time. And it seemed to be the easiest lane. So we rocked in it with two people. So we get in the lane. And we are togging it along in this half-two lane. At which point we passed a cop. And and he was on the side of the road. And we're moving along. And he's just going like this. So Pete and I went, Oh (laughs) So we waved. You know, we thought it's nice that the locals are welcoming the visitors in. So we're waving. And so we just carry on and we're chatting. At which point we discover he appears to be in his car right behind us with blue lights on. I mean, these lights are going everywhere. And he is honking his horn. So we thought, my goodness. He must be chasing a robber or something. So we pulled over. And instead of burning past, he pulled over as well. So we pulled back. He pulled back as well. Then we cottoned on. I think he wants us, but I have no idea why. So we pulled on in. And yes, indeed, we had been in the wrong lane. But what what was important in that process is he stuck to us like glue. He was not going anywhere. I mean, I was tempted to suggest, why don't we just outburn him? Because that would be so much fun. But even then, you know... This guy is going to be sticking with you, bumper to bumper, throughout this whole journey. That's what God does to you. That's the truth of this psalm. That's the way the good shepherd cares for us. He chases us down. He sticks to us like glue, like a good shepherd with blue lights on top of his car. He is pursuing us, not to tell you off. He's pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of my life. How wonderful is that? And how incredible this truth is. You know, my hope and prayer for this year is that God would take this truth and really burn it into our hearts. Instead of kicking off the year with ten things that we're going to do for Jesus, I want us to really, having had the kids back and Got back from holidays and settled into church life to concentrate on one resolution His that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your lives as families, in workplaces, as a church family. What is my hope for Sovereign Grace Church this year? Well, I'll tell you what it's not it's not my leadership, it's not the life group leaders. It's not our facilities. It's not the things that we have going for us. It's not the people in the church and the gifts that they brought with them. No, none of those things I have much confidence in at all. My confidence is in that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And the same one that said that is the one that said that he's building the church. Jesus builds his church. He's our confidence. You know, maybe you look out on 2011 and you look out at it with real excitement. You've got some things cooking up this year that you're looking forward to and you think, man, this is just going to be a sweet year and I'm so excited. Listen, I'm rejoicing with you in that and I'm excited with you. And where that's the case... Happy days. And I pretty much feel like that myself. There's a large part of me that thinks, Lord, you have been so good to us as a family, in my own life, as a church family, and what we've given our lives to. Lord, you have been so extremely kind. So, Lord, I, I anticipate more this year. I anticipate your grace, and there's so many things that I'm so excited about as we face this year. You know, if you're like that, great. But still put this truth in your back pocket. Because as sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. And sometimes things that we were greatly excited about, that we're holding on to so passionately, God says, you know what? Nah. We're not going to do that. And that was your desire, but not my desire. They were your plans, but not my plans. That's what happened to me last year. And I felt for a short time, Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? This isn't the way it was meant to be. No, it was always the way it was meant to be. God was dealing with my heart and my character and my life. And so put this in your back pocket in the midst of those excitements and hold on to the truth that even if things begin to fade, don't panic. Even if illnesses come about that you hadn't anticipated, don't fear. Even if things happen in our jobs that you think, my, if I'd seen this coming, I wouldn't have been able to cope. Don't get anxious. That's why he didn't tell you. But surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Maybe though you look out over this year and you don't look out with it with excitement. In fact, to be honest, as you consider this year, there's there's things that really concern you. That you're anxious about. That you're fearful about. Maybe you've got into a situation within your marriage where you look at it and you just think, Dave, I I don't know how I'm going to be able to live with this for another year. I don't know how we're going to be able to work through this. I don't know how we're going to be able to move forward. I'm just so anxious. Maybe you go through financial difficulties and you know that on paper, this year isn't even stacking up. You don't know how you're going to be able to feed your family this year unless something dramatic takes place because the outlook is so difficult in your life. Maybe you're walking through a health challenge, and as you walk through it, you just think, My, I wish this wasn't here. I don't know how I'm going to keep coping with this illness or with this ailment. I, if this doesn't go in the next week, I I don't know how I'm going to be able to manage. Or maybe in your relationships, you're walking something through with a brother or a sister or with a child for us as parents, and you just think, oh my, I just can't see this changing. I don't know how I'm going to be able to cope with this any longer in my life. Folks, if that's you, And you look at this year with fear and anxiety and concern. Here's what I want you to know. Yahweh is your shepherd. He's the one who protects you, who guides for you, who cares for you, who blesses you. And so here's something that I want you to stand on at the start of this year and plant your feet firmly on. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you All the days of your life. Surely his goodness and his mercies that are new every morning will chase you down every day of your lives. That's the truth of Scripture. Let it be the truth in your life. Stand on it with confidence, and would not fear, and not anxiety, not concern, but instead joy and faith and peace be yours for the road ahead. Let's pray. Lord, how can we thank you enough for the way you shepherd us as your children? Lord, it is scandalous grace that you assist us with to know that you, the maker of heaven and earth, take people like us, your creation who originally rejected you, and yet you save us and you bring us close and then you chase us down with your goodness and mercy. Lord, to know that truth is to be simply overwhelmed. And Lord, I pray for us all this year as a local church. Lord, would this be a truth that we return to often? For sure, as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall, things take place in our lives that we had not seen coming. And yet you remain the same. The Alpha and Omega. The one who is no beginning and no end. Lord, would we delight that you chase us down with your goodness and mercy, and would that truth be seared into our heart as with a hot iron. Lord, at the start of this year, would our souls find rest? Lord, would joy be our theme? Would peace be our theme? Would faith be our theme, not because of us, but because of the good shepherd. For you are good, Lord. Have your way in our lives. Amen.